teach us, that you would mold us and make us more like you. Lord, we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Shay. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. All right. So I, uh, I, I just first, I just want to start off and say I made a mistake. Uh, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see that it's Acts chapter 8, Restored Life. And it's actually Acts chapter 9. So you could scratch that out. We're actually going to be in Acts chapter 9. So if you've been anticipating all morning that we're doing Acts chapter 8 again because I didn't do it well enough last week, I am sorry. No, we are in Acts chapter 9 this morning. And so, you know, the power of a typo. Um, and it's just far-reaching extension all the way to the bulletin. So I, I certainly apologize about that. But yeah, go ahead and open up your own personal copy of the Holy Scriptures this morning to Acts chapter 9, because that's where we will be. Um, it, is, it is really good, again, to be here with you guys. Thanks again for just the opportunity to hang with you guys. We've enjoyed, our family's enjoyed being here. Somebody mentioned it's only three out of your seven kids. I apologize. It's, it's less than 50%, which is really not a, fa- not a passing grade. Um, however, you know, it is, uh, it is the pumpkin patch season, and so some of our older kids are, uh, they went to church earlier this morning in Monroe and then heading off to, uh, to go, you know, sell pumpkins or something. So... Um, that's, uh, that's what they're doing. I'm not thinking harvest yet, but other people are apparently. So um, how many of you guys are working in like a local pumpkin patch? Nobody here. Awesome. So only in Monroe. Only in Monroe. So we've got the prison and we've got the pumpkin patches. So uh, this, is, this, is what we're, this is what we're known for in Monroe, Washington. So uh, anyways, it is, uh, it's good to be with you guys. Um, it is always fun. We've really gotten to know, each, uh, to know some of you better than others, and I'd like to know the rest of you. And so uh, Carissa and I are delighted to be uh, with you again this morning. And we are going to continue on this series uh, I, I called Restored Community. Uh, we thought it was just going to be two chapters of Acts. Uh, we got through, um, well, well, we got up to through eight, and then uh, Eric told me I had to finish the book today. So... Um, <laughs> So we might just keep going all the way through till next week. So anyway, we are, uh, we'll, we'll have some fun this morning. The central theme of the book of Acts is found in chapter 1. And so if you're really wanting a spoiler for the whole book of Acts, just, just go to 1 verse 8 and you realize that's kind of like what God is doing in the midst of launching his church. And so Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says that, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And you could really distill all of that time. I mean, you could spend an entire series just on that one verse and like extrapolate that out, you know, word by word. Like, what does that look like? You know, just obviously there's something to be said about like, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And we could spend some time on what does that look like? But that's what God is doing in the midst of launching this church, right? So Jesus ascends into heaven, right? There's the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit where the church is empowered to go and preach the good news. And it is an exciting time. This is the time of the church. We are in the age of the church. And so this launching of this revolution that started back then is still continuing. The kingdom is coming, and we are a part of that. This church right here in Cedarholm, you are a part of that. What God is doing right here in the book of Acts, you are continuing the very mission that, that they were working on. 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. This is our job as the church, is to be witnesses to the risen Christ. This is our life. When we go to work, when we go to school, when we, when we are hanging out in our community, when we're, we're at the local coffee shop or the local butcher or whatever it is that you're, the local pumpkin patch, it's your job to be witnesses of the risen Christ. We are to be witnesses of the risen Christ. And where are we to be witnesses? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And, and maybe Stanwood is kind of the end of the earth, you know, in, in, in the context that we're reading the book of Acts, right? And so here we are at the end of the earth, uh, right here. And so the gospel is being proclaimed here. Why? Because you are good people? No, because you are powered by the Holy Spirit and witness to the risen Christ in your own individual life. Amen? Right? It's nothing that you can, like, create on your own. But no, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to move in our life. Praise God, because I am not worthy on my own. But we find ourselves continuing in the book of Acts. We're, we're to chapter 9. We find ourselves uh, following this launch of this early church. We find that the apostles are preaching the word. They've been, they've, they've been giving warnings. They've been giving beatings. They've been given prison. They've escaped from prison. Stephen was executed under the eye of Saul. And the church was being scattered and you know, under intense persecution. And Saul himself has been causing havoc for all of those following Jesus. And this is where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But before we get rolling on that, let's pray. God, would you be with us as we dive into your word this morning? Lord, we know and believe that the word does not return void. We know that there is truth to be shared. And Lord, just like you did for Saul, would you remove the scales off of our eyes and allow us to see the truth for what it is? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. All right, wow, we are, we are getting into an amazing story. Are we not? I mean, this is an incredible interaction with God. Like, here is Saul. He is havocing the church. Like, he is on mission to go and put people into prison, to, like, grab them, to bind them, and to haul them all the way back to Jerusalem. Men and women who are out there proclaiming, following the way. I love that terminology, following the way. We see this in the, in the book of Acts right here in chapter 9. These Christians consider some, themselves to be following the way. And what is the way? The way is the way of Jesus, the way of the king, the way of the Lord, the way of the King of Kings. 
the way to do life. Like, it is a, it is a beautiful name for, for following Jesus because it's, it's, it's more than just like, this is who I am. It's, this is who I am, and, and, and I then now act this way. I am this way. I do these things because of what Jesus has done in my life. Like, there is a new way of living that is different. There was a before Christ, and then there is an after Christ. There is this way that was life, and now there is a new way of life. And we're finding this beautiful transition, this amazing conversion that we see. I mean, sorry, spoilers. There's a conversion coming. Saul becomes Paul. He writes a bunch of the New Testament. He goes from persecuting the church to, like, like proclaiming the gospel to the utter ends of the earth in amazing fashion, right? So there's this amazing conversion transformation happening. Sorry, spoilers. But that's what's going to happen. And so we see this. There was a way, and now there's a new way. And these Christians are following the way. And I mean, this is an amazing story. And so the, the, I, I want to note a couple things before we continue to get to the rest of the story. So Saul's response to this voice that he hears, the voice of Jesus, is to say, who are you, Lord? Like, there is recognition right away that there is something significant about this voice, that there is recognition on this really learned Man, he is a religious, learned man who loves God, who loves his word, and he is confused as to who the Messiah is. He's got scales on his eyes. He's not able to see the truth that Jesus is who he says he is. And so he is, he is so far, like, zealous for, for his religion that he is doing these awful things to the church. And he, and he can't see the truth. But he, as soon as he hears this voice, there's a recognition that this is the Lord. And the answer, of course, is I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Just a couple notes from the, from the New Testament that is in regard to the fact that Jesus is indeed Lord and that Jesus is the only way for salvation. We see in Acts chapter 4 earlier where Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, he's proclaiming the gospel, and he's specifically referring to Jesus, whom they had crucified, speaking to this crowd, and he says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Right? So Peter knew, Saul knew, Right? Jesus knows that, that there is a problem with humanity called sin, and that sin separates us from God, right? We were all created in his image, perfect, in the Garden of Eden, but sin enters the world, and now there is a sin problem, and there is separation from God, and the only way to be saved from that separation from God for eternity is through the name of Jesus. There is salvation through no one else, according to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And then Jesus himself says it again in John 14, 6. We sang about it this morning. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think it's really important that we can't go through Acts chapter 9 without recognizing that, that Saul recognized that this voice is the Lord, and, G and Jesus says, I am Jesus and the recognition that there is only one way to experience transformation. There is only one way to experience the restored life that the church is, is proclaiming. There is only one way to salvation, and that is through belief and trusting in the life of Jesus. 
it is important that we see the truth in this text and that we live it out, that there is no other way to salvation from our sins. There's no other way to get into right relationship with our Creator but through Jesus. There's no other path. There's not enough good deeds to do. There's not enough people to be a witness to. There's not enough tithes and offerings you can give. There's not enough Sunday mornings that you can attend. There's not enough casseroles that you can make for a church potluck. There's not enough barbecues to attend, right? There are not enough widows to take care of to earn your way into eternal life with Christ. There are not enough old ladies to help across the street, right? There, are, there is not enough good deeds to do. There are, if you spent your life doing good deeds, or if you have thought, like, as long as I am good enough, as long as I choose to do, if I stay married and I do all of the things that I know I'm supposed to do, then I will be in right relationship with God. I'm sorry. That is false. There is no other way to eternal life and salvation other than through Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There is only putting our trust and faith in Christ alone, believing that he made the way with his death on the cross for our sins, defeating death and rising from the grave to offer the forgiveness of sins. There is no other way. Let's move on. Chapter, t- uh, chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to you your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and the new rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had, he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out and among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke 
and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I love this. This is like a kind of like a, a turn of phrase. Like, like Saul went to Damascus to, you know, to persecute the church and it turned out that he met Jesus and then he was persecuted himself because he's proclaiming the name of Jesus. Um, this is fantastic. A couple things. I mean, we could be here all day. Acts chapter 9 is just so rich with, with truth that we could distill from this. But I got to get to the entire book today. So we got we to keep rolling. So a, a few observations. Number one, the gospel is not just for people who deserve it. In fact, no one deserves it. The gospel is not for people who deserve it. No one deserves the gospel. We are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8 says, that, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, what a great example of that, right? I mean, you may think that uh, you are not worthy of the gospel. You may feel like you are not worthy of God's love. And here is Saul. He's literally persecuting, imprisoning, beating, trying to capture, trying to suppress the gospel in a very violent fashion, causing havoc for the church. In this, while he is doing this, Jesus reaches out and demonstrates his love for Saul and opens his eyes to show him the truth of who he is. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God that we can all fit into that Saul category. Maybe we're not persecuting the church. Maybe we're not suppressing the gospel, but we all fall short of the glory of God and we are all sinners and we are all in sin. And it's in the midst of our sin, in the midst of us being sinners, in the midst of us being, you know, not living the way that God would have us. It's in the midst of that evil that we are in rejecting and being independent from God. It's in the midst of that, that God's love reaches out to us when we don't deserve it. But God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then I, I love this out of First uh, Timothy one of the letters that Paul is writing. And this is kind of Paul sharing a bit of his story to his protege, Timothy, his disciple. He says, verse 12, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I mean, how beautiful is that? Here we have Saul just explaining his testimony that he considers himself the worst of sinners. And yet, God reached out and had grace for him, 
opened his eyes to see the truth. And Paul, Saul, now Paul, chooses to accept Christ as his Lord, recognizing that Jesus wasn't just a lunatic or a liar, but that he was Lord. And he recognizes that Jesus really did walk the earth, that he really did die on the cross for Saul's sins, for my sins, for our sins. And that he really was buried, that he really did resurrect, that he really did ascend into heaven, and that he really is sitting at the right hand of God, and that he really is bringing the kingdom of God. And Saul began to preach that and proclaim that in Judea and Samaria and Damascus and, and any chance that he could, on a boat, off a boat, all, you know, his whole life, Paul is devoted to now preaching the gospel. As zealous as he was to destroy the church, he was now proclaiming for the church. And we see this amazing transformation in his life. And it's not about Paul or Saul. It's not about how good he was or what he had to offer the kingdom. It's the fact that he was a sinner and Jesus reached out. And it's beautiful. Jesus will transform our life. I mean, you look at Paul to, or Saul to Paul, you talk about a restored life. This is what happens when you come encounter with Jesus. He restores our life. He, he transforms us into what he sees us to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of the verses that I learned as a little kid in Awanas, even though uh, uh, it wouldn't be until I was 18 that I actually recognized Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But I'm so grateful for the sovereign foundation of getting God's word into my mind, even as a wee little lad, even though I was just doing it for the Scooby Snacks. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I mean, behold, right? Like, behold Saul to Paul, the old persecutor to the new proclaimer. I mean, what a beautiful transition. But every one of us experienced the same transformation. When we come to faith in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. I mean, how much hope do we have in that? That is so great. So Saul's salvation is amazing. Your salvation is amazing. I mean, I just, you know, I, I don't, I mean, you know, maybe Paul deserves to be put on a, a little bit of a pedestal, I guess. You know, he did write a bunch of the New Testament, but, but he, it's only because that's the chosen instrument that God used, right? All of us have the same transformation story. All of us were dead in our sins. All of us who accept Christ as our Lord and Savior are now alive in Christ and are going to inherit the kingdom of God. All of us, just like Saul to Paul. Right? There's old Chris, new Chris. Praise God, there's new Chris. Just ask my wife. Like, there are, like, it, is, it is good. The transformation is good. And the other thing I want to note is that Saul's salvation, just like our own, is always followed, followed with a call to service. His salvation was followed with a call to service. And all of our salvation is, call, is, is followed by a call to service. Right? For Saul, it was, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And then he meets with Ananias, and then Ananias is used, Ananias is used by God to, to bring Saul, now Paul's calling, into, into being. Where now Paul is going to go, and he's going to preach God's word, and he's going to you know, proclaim it all over. And so Saul's salvation comes with this call to service. And that's true with each of us. When we put our faith in Christ, when we put our trust and belief and accept his forgiveness for our sins, and we enter into this restored life with Christ, 
We now are called to be his disciples. And what are disciples called to do? They're called to go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching in the name of Jesus. And we were called to go, and, and we will be our witnesses here, near, and far. And so this is our call. Like when we receive salvation, we also receive a call to serve. Each of us have a role to play. Let's look at uh, chapter 9, verse 32. Let's continue on. Now as Peter went here and there, among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at, at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, I know a lot of the kids went to junior church, but I mean, here's just like a, like a, little, like a little bonus nugget for kids, and maybe for adults too. It's important to, write, to, to make your bed, right? So here you go. All right. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. You know, so it's important. So anyway, all right, moving on. Verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. Can you imagine the faith that it, that took to just even call and to ask for Peter to come? I mean, here's somebody who is a cherished member of the church, and they pass away. And yet they call urgently for Peter to come without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he had arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and the other garments that Dorcas had made them while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. I mean, Acts chapter 9 is just full of the impossible, isn't it? I mean, you know, God is the God of the impossible, but he's really the God of the possible. Like, there is nothing impossible for God. He can do all things. He can take somebody as dead in their sins and as confused and, and like, blinded to the truth as Saul and, like, restoring his life and turning him into a new creation who is going to go and be maybe the greatest missionary proclaimer of the gospel of all time. I mean, that's a miracle to take somebody who is dead in their sins to make them alive and proclaim the gospel. And it, it is just as miraculous to take somebody who is dead in their flesh and make them alive in their flesh. And the same Jesus, the same God who restores the life of Saul, now Paul, is the same God who restores Tabitha's life from being dead to alive. 
The old is gone, the new has come. I love that it's juxtaposo, juxtaposo, ju, it's, I'm glad it's together in the same passage. Sometimes you try to be smarter than you actually are, you know. <laughs> Juxtaposed. All right, so there they are. Like you have, you have this amazing, miraculous transformation of like dead to alive, Saul to Paul. But then you actually have this dead in the flesh to alive in the flesh with Tabitha. Incredible. I love that they're together in the, in the scriptures, and we can see that, and we can see that God is the God of the possible. If you find yourself in a place where you're like, God, this is impossible, I'm praying for impossible things, that's right where you need to be. And you may be discouraged this morning, you may feel like you are unworthy of God's love, maybe you feel like you are in this place where you're like, God can't come through in this fashion. Let me just tell you, like, this is what God does. He takes what is dead and he makes it alive. And I just want to give you hope and I want to give you encouragement. God can do that. And what we find here in this next part of, well, this whole chapter really, is just the church being the church. I mean, there are miraculous things happening, don't get me wrong, but it's really the mundane church being the mundane church. Because the mundane church is full of awesome power because it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. The mundane church, just the church, the regular old Joe church, the church just doing church things, is going to see the power of God at work. Seeing the dead become alive. Not necessarily in the flesh, man. We would pray that that would happen and that would be amazing and God can do that to this day, today. I believe that wholeheartedly. But we are going to see transformation life of, of becoming from dead in the spirit to alive in the spirit. There will be transformed lives in the mundane church, the everyday church, the regular church. It's just, it's just a regular Sunday. Yeah, a regular Sunday empowered by the Holy Spirit where a God who is showing up in a regular church, just a Monday church, doing the amazing and the possible and the miraculous each and every day. Like, this is the church. This is just like we read chapter 9 and we realize this is, just a, yeah, this is just the church being the church. This is what is happening in the church when the disciples are recognizing that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and we can see God do amazing things. I'm so excited for this next season of ministry here at Stanwood. God is going to do some amazing things. You guys are just going to be the church doing the church. And when you are the church doing the church things, look out. This is going to be exciting. The Holy Spirit will be at work when we say Jesus is king. And it starts in your own heart, and it starts in your family, and it starts in your community. And, and when we see, like, these disciples follow with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is indeed Messiah— that's when God can just do amazing things. And so that is my prayer for you guys. This is just the church being the church. And I would be praying that here at Cedarhome, it would just be the church being the church. That would just be another Acts kind of nine, kind of Sunday, just a mundane thing. God shows up, lives are changed, transformation happens, there's restored life, and it's exciting. This is what God does. Well, we're just, why, would we, why would we not call Peter back? I know it's been a couple of days, but why wouldn't we not urge Peter to show up? Because God can do the impossible, the impossible, because he is the God of the possible. People preaching the good news, Jesus showing up, people being healed, women and men in the church doing good works and acts of charity, making a difference with the lives of them around. So just, just to conclude, 
There's no one who is out of the reach of the grace of God. There is no one that is beyond the reach of the grace of God. There is no one that is beyond the love of God. None of us are worthy, but his love and grace is sufficient for all of us. With salvation comes a call to serve every, every time. And, but the church needs people like Dorcas and Aeneas and Ananias, women and men who have been saved and who have responded to the calling on their life, whether it's to care for widows and others in the church, sewing things, making things, loving others, feeding other people, like all of the things that the church is doing that we see in Acts chapter 9. Like, that's beautiful. The church needs all of you participating in the gifts and skills that God has given you. Um, as I was preparing for this message, I, I came across, I didn't, I, I came across this illustration, so I've, I've stolen it from the internet. Um, just want to throw that out there. I did make a typo, and I'm stealing an illustration, so <laughs> I confess. All right. So there's like, there's two different ways to make a U-turn. How many of you guys have done a U-turn? Okay. Like, right. All right. So there's, there's, like, there's like the fast and furious way, right? Like where you're slamming down on the accelerator, you, you need to make a U-turn, and, you know, it's a combination of pulling the e-brake, yanking the wheel, slamming it around, never li- letting, you know, the foot off the gas, and as soon as you're going in the right direction, it's like, here we go, right? And, it's, and that's kind of what happened with Saul, right? Like Saul's, Saul's, Saul's U-turn of his life, his repentance of his life is, is pretty fast and furious. It's like pedal to the metal to destroy the church. And then it's like, whoa, God shows up, e-brake, yank, drifting, you know, going through a whole set of tires and then heading the other direction. And like, like that is, that's Saul to Paul. And it, you know, it preaches. Okay. Um, but then you have, you have like the thousand acre farm with the, like the 37 foot wide John Deere combine harvester. And you know, that it's, that it's like, you know, chug a lug a lug, uh, going down and you know, you start turning and a thousand acres later, you've made the turn and you're coming back for, you know, to, to get the next row of wheat. Right. And, and, and there's two different terms. And, and maybe, that's the, maybe that's the life where you grew up in a family that proclaims the gospel and, you know, you were in the womb and your mom and dad were praying for you and reading, you know, top, you know tapping the belly and like, you know, you know, you will be my witnesses in all of Judea and Samaria, you know. And, and you, like, you, you came out of the womb and you're like, you know, it was not, you know, your first words was not mama or dada, but it was like, you know, papa or, you know, Adonai. You know, you, like, you're like, I... I I'm just ready, you know, Abba Father, you know, like whatever it is that, you know, and so you, you come out of the womb and you're, and you're ready to like be the clubber of the year at Awana, you know, like you're ready to go, like this is your life and, and you grow up and you, and you, you know, at three, four or five, you realize, yeah, I'm a sinner, you know, I like to not clean my room, I don't always make my bed, but I know I need to do that and, and, you, and then eventually you're like, yeah, I got baptized at eight or nine and then, and then, but I, you know, I really, really figured it out once I got to junior high and, uh, you know, you, you know, you have this testimony, but it's really this kind of long testimony, and it's not as attractive of a testimony. But that's a lie. Let me just tell you, the, turn, the U-turn of the combine harvester is just as amazing as, and transformational as that fast and furious e-brake experience. And in fact, praise God, because you weren't persecuting the church. You weren't imprisoning, beating people. Like, praise God that you avoided that. 
And what an amazing testimony that you now have. If you grew up in a Christian family where you have mom and dad who love the Lord and you're a second generation or a third generation or a 27th generation Christian and you, you come from the line of Benjamin or something, I don't know, that would be amazing. Like, praise God that that's your testimony and God will use that. And it is miraculous too. And it will preach. Everybody here, none of us deserve God's grace. I don't deserve God's grace. And yet, when I was a sinner, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you've never decided that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, that he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings and the only path to salvation, if you are in this place where you've never decided that you want to follow Jesus with your whole life, or if you've been kind of just living this life where eventually, eh, maybe eventually I'll give my life to Jesus. Today's the day. Today's the day to put your faith and trust in Jesus and to receive his love and his forgiveness for your sins and to build this new relationship, to experience this miraculous transformation, this restored life of going from being dead to your sins to alive in Christ. There is nothing more miraculous than that. Raising somebody from the dead in the flesh is amazing. Don't get me wrong. But turning a soul that is dead to a soul that is alive for ever with eternity to be a part of the kingdom of God, there is nothing greater and more miraculous than that. And that can happen right now in this room today. If you have been dead in your sins and you're ready to receive forgiveness, you are, wor you are worthy because God loves you. You are made in his image and you are ready to receive that from him. So my prayer for Cedar Home is what we find in Acts chapter 9. It's my, it's my prayer for every church. Verse 31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And that is my prayer for you here at Cedar Home. Jesus, we are grateful for how you transform lives. We are grateful for how you transformed Saul's life how you transformed Tabitha's life, how you used Ananias, how you used Aeneas, how you um, used the widows that were blessing and were blessed by Tabitha. Thank you that the church is full of women and men that you love deeply and you have given great skill and ability and, and strength to, to proclaim the gospel in a variety of ways. Thank you that you save us to serve. May we honor that. And I do pray, I pray that Cedar Home Baptist Church and the rest of the church here in Stanwood, Camano area would have peace and that they would walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I do pray for multiplication. And it's your name, amen. amen. All right, stand up and receive the benediction this morning. This is out of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, have a great week.